Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We pray with me, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, our whole beings to you and to your Word, that we could uh, get you a little bit more, that we could have our minds expanded and transformed that we as individuals and as a church would be shaped a little more and used for you on this earth. Jesus, in your name. Amen? You're like, I don't know if I can agree with that one, right? There was a pretty weak amen happening there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been doing this uh, seminary class online, and it's on Ephesians, and the guy uh, turned me on to this artist, and uh, it's kind of cool, especially when you think that it is actually junk on a table with a light shining through it. It's trash art, isn't it? Um, Tim Noble, Sue Webster, they create trash art and shadows. Uh, the next one, if you just see the pile of trash, right, and... And I think as we have been going through the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, we were, we were before Christ, we could just see the pile of trash. And now the light has come and we see the world differently. We've had a revelation, or as Jim pointed out, the word for revelation in the Bible is, anybody remember? Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Uh, we've had a revelation, an apocalypse in our lives, and it's changed everything. I mean, we have learned that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We now have this new identity in Christ, and because of this new identity, we now are told in Ephesians how to live. So he has three chapters on who you are in Christ, and now he moves into how to live. And he says, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, walk, that means live, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I always remember, like, did your parents call you when you were kids and you had to come in? So young people, when we were young, we actually played outside and we had to, I had to be as I, I had to be within whistle distance, and my dad could really whistle, right? And we were like dogs. If he whistled, we were to come, right? You didn't hear me whistle, you know. And um, and we were to respond to our parents' voice, right? We were to come as we were called. And and some of you have had parents that spoke great words over you, right? And some of you have parents that didn't speak good words. I remember sitting down with a, a guy from the Middle East who has moved here, and he introduced me to his whole family. And as he did, he blessed every kid. I'm like, this dude, he's just blessings just are coming out of his... And his kids will say, yeah, my dad always does that. I'm thinking, wow, a lot of people have memories of voices or callings that are different, isn't it? Now, we live in a world where... Um, uh, our, our, our worldview could be described as expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. I'm trying to think of the guy who wrote The Closing of America's Mind. Um, he coined this phrase. And, and, and you'll recognize this. Be you, right? You be you, 
right? Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find yourself. Climb every mountain. Forge every stream. Follow every rainbow until you find your dream. And you're like, yeah, that sounds like a good thing. You know, just figure out who you are down deep, hear that inner voice, and then live into it. Be whatever you want to be, right? And, and I've said it before, the problem is that when you live by expressive individualism, when you have that voice define you as opposed to the voice of God, as opposed to the calling, the voice of God, um, we get pretty confused. Because frankly, I am two people. I bet some of you are too, right? Do you ever wake up in the morning and you're going to eat right and you're going to exercise, you're going to spend time with the Lord, right? And then at night, you're a junk food junkie. Don't tell me there aren't some of you here that are that way, right? Like, what happened to the morning? The morning Doug is who I want to be. The night Doug wants to eat chips or whatever is in the house, right? You know, so who, which one am I? Which one are you? You know, and I, I, I think the point is, is that my identity, the source of my worth and value, the most true answer to the question who I am is I'm a child of God. And this is how this chapter is beginning. Live into your calling. Now, if you were given instructions and here you are and you're going to teach somebody else about Jesus, what would be the first things you'd say to somebody how to live into your calling? You know, what, what would you tell them? Well, let me, let me see. How do I live into my calling? This is what Paul says. Therefore, as prisoners of the, prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, live into your calling. Walk worthy in the manner of the calling to which you've been called, in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Sometimes expressive individualism is all about you, isn't it? Who is this all about? Others. Isn't that interesting? It's all about others. And he's like, okay, you live into your calling with humility and gentleness and patience. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He's like, hey, this is what I want to come out of your life. But what really stuck out of my mind? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I... I don't know that that would come out in any of our stories, right? Oh, let me tell you how to live out the Christian life. I want you to be eager. I want you to be zealous to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I don't think that's, you know, boy, is Betty eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, right? right, right. Julie's so eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, right? I mean, like, is that... Is that something that defines us? And why is this so critical to the Apostle Paul? Like, why in his beginning chapters of how to live out this is it so critical? And I think it comes down to his image of what's happened when Christ died and rose from the dead. And he said that we're in Christ, where Jesus is, you are. Your feet are here, but you're also seated at the Father's right hand in heavenly places. And early in the chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, early in the book, he says he, he's unfolded a plan for the fullness of time to do what? Unite all things in him, in heaven and on earth. It's like this is where earth and heaven connect in you, in the church. It used to be the temple. 
used to be the Garden of Eden, and now you guys are the new Eden, the new temple, right? And earth and heaven enfold, and what is the perfect unity in the Trinity? Father, Son, and Spirit, that mystery we can't get. They're welcoming us into this beautiful unity, and Paul is saying it's critically important that my church, that my people, that God's people are eager to maintain the unity. Why? There's one body, one spirit to which you were called, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. How many ones? A good Jewish rabbi, seven, the perfect number. Paul bleeds the number seven, right? I mean, it's just in him. It's the whole number. When he's talking about one, he uses the number seven because it's the whole number. And he's like, because, because we're all meant to be one in Christ, right? And if you were the evil one, what would your goal be? Disunity. I mean, I pray, I, I fear disunity in the church. I've had people say, I'll never be on a church board. Why? I was on one before. And it was horrible, right? It made me hate the church and not want to be on the... Or I never come to voters' meetings. Why? Because all they do is fight. I have a friend. His, he had to work to get the fighting out of the voters' meeting. And basically, he said, you can all meet with the board ahead of time with any problem, but we're not going to let you talk during the voters' meeting. <laughs> if you got a problem, come meet with this. These are the people who can help you, right? Just because the voters' meeting were times where people's egos just erupted, Right? Disunity. Disun not that there aren't times to go, wait, that's not gospel. That's not, there's, there are things that, that can and should divide us. And yet here in the church, Paul is pleading for unity. And yet there's disunity everywhere. I mean, I was just looking at <clears throat> Christian news and David Platt, we, he wrote a book called Radical and kind of became like a famous Christian. And he he got to be the pastor of this big Bible church, and the members have filed a lawsuit against the elders. And I pray, Paul says, that you would be unified. Don't stop there. South Carolina pastor quits his church, and his followers revolt and get him back. 10,000 people go to that church, and the elders, and the pastor, and problems, and this, and that, and he resigns, and then the church revolts. You know, it just goes on and on. Services at Tennessee Governor's Church disrupt by megachurch pastor feud. The old pastor and the new pastor are feuding, and the elders and the, the old pastor's wife gets up and, like, grabs the mic and, Lord, have mercy. I remember as a kid, my uncle was a pastor, and after a sermon, a guy stands up and starts, like, yelling, and there was all this tension. And I'm, I was not a very, like, good young man, and my mom, like, I get up to, like, give him a what for, and it wouldn't have been good. My mom, like, pulls me back down, you know. And, and uh, I'm thinking, what? I never experienced that in church, this yelling and this going. And, and Lord, have mercy. And, and yet, have you ever lost your temper? Have you ever felt slighted or anger? Have you ever been hurt by me or somebody in, in church? I mean, it's so easy for this to happen and the Apostle Paul is like pleading for unity. And I couldn't help but think that one of the basic units of humanity is also the two become one. I mean, if you're the evil one and God wants unity, for example, in the beginning, God created human, 
right? Actually, more than human because it was both Adam and Eve in one body, right? And then God took some of Adam and made Eve, and now we've got Ish and Isha, Adam and Eve. So he had one. He goes, not good for man to be alone. He makes two, and then what does he tell them to do? Become one. You know, should have left them that way. It would have been a lot easier, right? <laughs> right? So you got one makes two. Now the two shall become one. And, and, I, and I know that there are many relationships that you look at it, and internally there's a lot of disunity, hearts that aren't warm and open to one another, lives that, that are held back and... And the two, God says, become one, and the church is one, and someday there'll be no male or female, Scythian, slave or free, you know, Greek or Jew or Gentile. Like, all will be one in Christ, and the evil one's plan is disunity for us. And he says, he goes on and he says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says... When he ascended on high, he led captives, uh, led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. So Jesus comes to earth, he descends, and then he ascends, and he leads us, sets us free, and then he gives gifts to men. And I think the question is, what are the gifts? Like, oh, is it the gift of the Spirit? Is the gift of that? Sure, it's that. But what is Paul about to mention? It, It might surprise you who the gifts are. He gave some to be apostles. Apostles are gifts. He gave some to be prophets. Prophets are gifts, people who speak for God. Evangelists are gifts. Pastors are gifts. Teachers are gifts. And if you look at like the complete gift list in Scripture, these are kind of the building up gifts that he mentions here. But uh, Corinthians has other gifts, and uh, Peter has other gifts. And, and I was thinking, we're all gifts to one another. And can I tell you what happens many times? Do you ever meet somebody or get to know somebody more deeply and you start seeing their flaws? Like, oh, that guy can't organize himself out of a paper box, right? My secretary used to say, Doug, you were born to have a secretary. (laughs) And that was before it was my wife. And she would say, and I was born to be one. You know, it's interesting, we look at somebody, instead of celebrating their strengths, we look at their weaknesses. Next time you see somebody's weaknesses, why don't you give thanks for them and say, Lord, because you got somebody else who's got strengths where they're weak. Because we're not to be these fully orbed things. We are fully orbed as the body of Christ together. Like we, we have each other's backs, we fill in the gaps, we, like we give thanks for each other's weaknesses because there's a space for somebody else to serve and to do and to build up the body of Christ. And so he gives this list, and I was thinking about uh, every different way that we are able to be gifts to the church and to others. And here's Paul languishing in prison, and it says he gave some to be apostles, and he began this section by saying, therefore, I'm a prisoner And a prisoner, Paul uses it like a badge of honor. He's like, if they crucified Jesus and it turned out for our good, then my imprisonment is for good too. But here he is in prison and he's writing letters for what? To build up the church. Like wherever you are, being in a hospital bed, right? 
God has called you to be part of the body and you're building up the church in whatever way that is. Sometimes it's interceding. I don't know, but whatever way it was. My mom used to write people. And after she died, she took cards and letters that we had sent her and she wrote responsive notes on the back of them. And my dad gave, like, I'm like weeping, you know, it's like, my mom wrote a, a note back on this birthday card where I wrote a note to her and I get it at, like, boo, you know. She's building me up posthumous, you know, yeah, yeah. We are the body of Christ. You are a gift to those around you. Now, if you're a gift, it does something to our psyche. It does something to, to how we think. You have to turn on your thinking caps here for a Barclay quote. Just skip over the Greek. Uh, he says, every believer is to reckon himself or herself dependent upon the single gift of divine mercy. Believers cannot boast as if there's something about themselves that render them worthy of the divine call. Thus, regrounded in the mercy of God, they're able to perceive their differential roles within the believing community as divinely distributed gifts. Just as Paul's authority to instruct is a product of his gift, right, his grace, so that each has a gift by the grace given to them. Each is apportioned a measure, a measured role of communal responsibility. Did I lose you? You know, Paul is, is really talking about where we're grounded, right? So I've been called to pastor, to preach and teach, but I'm not, I'm not more special of a gift than anybody else. Right? Everybody is their own gift. You're all connected to the head, and, and this is just, it's just a, a gift. It's, it's a calling. It, it's, it's not a, a value mark. My value and your value is found in the grace of God. And the problem happens when we get that confused. He, he goes on and he says, within this community, honor does not have to be sought. All the honor that counts has already been given or will be given by God, freed from the need to establish their honor in competition or retaliation, believers can afford to grant it to others. In loving one another, look at this, they strive to be first at being last, bidding to take the lead, not in clamor and honor, but giving it to one another. Is that an upside-down community? Man, does she strive to be last, first at being last, Right. <laughs> Sometimes, now I'm going to ruin everything, like I go on these mission trips and we're in these big vans and the worst seat in the house is in the back. And as the pastor, I, I get like the best seat, right? Joe, remember, who got the air-conditioned room in Mexico? The pastor. And I couldn't turn that down. They want to honor me. I'm the only one with air conditioning. It rocked. And because um, <clears throat> it was hot, wasn't it, Joe? Hot and buggy. But I sat in the back of the van. I just wanted to be last, you know. And, and, and no big deal. It doesn't bother me. It was a nice place to sit. But in the church, we just put others higher than ourselves. And our gifts don't make us better or worse. They're just gifts. We didn't earn it. And, and, and the problem is that we can confuse it. Remember the place in the scripture where Jesus sends out 72 disciples? And they come back and they're like, Lord, 
Even the demons submitted to us. Man, I got power. Man, am I special, right? And what did Jesus say to them? He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Wow, I got power. Look, I am somebody. What does Jesus say? Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. And don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Like, don't get your strokes from that. Get your strokes from me. Find your honor in the grace and the gift given to you. Find your honor in that salvation in the cross that I value you. Don't find it in what your abilities. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. What's it all about? You and I, we're to build each other up. We are, we're helping each other be the church so we can grow, so we can maintain. Look at the unity of faith. James says, why don't you just rather be wronged than win to be right? What? Some people's personality, they're like, unheard of. You know, why? We, he's like, hey, just let it go. It's not a, not a big deal. What's more important? The unity of faith. So we can attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to a measure of status which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Like Jesus prayed, Lord, may they be one as we are one. You and I right now are welcomed into the Trinity. I mean, the reality is heaven and earth come together. When I do that creed, I'm always marveling because I'm saying something that I don't see, but it is more real than everything I do see. It's more everlasting than everything I do see. I, somehow this, this, this I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, this is, this is all this realness, and he shall come to judge the living and the dead, and we stand here and we confess it, and, and it's real, but we don't see it, and we participate in it, and we enter in by faith, and it's this unifying reality and sometimes people look and say you know whose job it is to build up the church that paid guy up front right it's the pastor's job right that's what we pay you for right I mean, and the trouble is is that it's not what the bible teaches right like we all have different gifts and we all have stuff but like who's called to minister to build up the church whoops for the service. If you're thinking about it, do it. If you're like, oh, somebody should, yeah, maybe the Holy Spirit's bringing that to your mind. You should be the one just to do it, whatever it, whatever it is. B build up the body. What if our cells would be like, that's not my job, right? I'm not going to work there, right? No, they, get, they got to all work together, right? And this is how it is. It's, it's all our job because we're all one in Christ. We're the body and he's the head. He says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here or there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine. Can you imagine a baby on a boat? 
That's the picture. This baby on a boat, all, you know, waving about. And he's like, don't be that infant on a boat tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is being fitted and held together and by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So Jesus rose and he said, greater things you will do because he's still here in us. He's like, hey, you guys, the ones who I want to be one, you keep doing my work, you keep looking like me, you keep living uh, selflessly for others. Be that picture. And, and when he calls us a baby and he says we are babies, when he says we're babies, what do we know about babies? If you have food and poison, babies will eat both of them, won't they? Yeah, they'll just put stuff in their mouth. I remember when Ben was a little boy and we were moving into a new place and I come into a room and he's tonguing the outlet. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, if his saliva catches that is going to be a bad thing, right? That's what parents are there for, to protect their kids, right? You know, he's tonguing the outlet. He doesn't know any better, right? And, and, and we're to grow up so we discern things. Don't be like babies that tongue the outlet, that eat all doctrine. You know, you need to discern that. And what else do we know about babies? Mine. Mine. Mine, Right? There's, why are preschoolers selfish? Because they're selfish. And so am I. And so are you. Like, like the Lord would say, I want you to live a sacrificial love for others like me and conform to the image of Christ, but we've got something in us that's what's in it for me. What's in it for me? And, and he says, we, we, and as I was thinking about this, have you ever heard anybody say, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. If you go to Taco Bell, it doesn't make you a taco. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. <laughs> but it seems to me that God has chosen the church for us to grow. Speaking the truth in love. Are you getting that at Taco Bell? Is Taco Bell this organic body of believers that are connecting, that are encouraging and helping one another? I remember talking to a guy once, and he's like, I don't need to go to church. I can pray right here, right? And I remember saying to him, he's a musician, and I said, well, you can. But tell me this. How well do you sound with the other members of your, without the other members of your band? And he was silent. I'm like, we need each other. We bring out the best in one another. We help each other. We encourage one another. I mean, you, people who say, well, I believe in God, but I don't go to church. Well, maybe you do believe in God, but the church is the place of maturity and growth. And, and we, we come and we seek to deepen our friendships and deepen our relationships and love and care for one another. And this is the, yeah, this is the place where it's to happen, the true community of Christ and of hope. Do you see that? It's God's way because we're growing up into the head, right? Into the, into the head. The, where he's the head 
And each of you are connected to him, and we move as he moves us. Jesus said, I only do the things I see my father doing. And where the head goes, the body goes. I'm so tempted to have you come up here, Joey, but I won't do it. So tempted. How many would like to see Joey come up here? Betty. Come on, Joey. So um, now Joey could break this old man. But uh, so, Joe, get down in the stance. So, like, so, like, so if I was, like, riding on Joe, first I'd grab, a, I'd grab this, I'd push this out, and I'd take a half, and I'd, I'd straighten my arm. Sorry, is it hurting you? He's got, okay. I'd straighten my arm, and I would plant it to the floor, and then I'd just run it over with my feet. You don't have to use your muscle. You just straighten your arm. And you know what I've learned? Sorry, Joe. Where his head goes... Yeah, he could, Joey could beat me up. He just let me do that. Did you notice where his head went, the whole body was going to follow? It's the same with us in Christ. Where his head, oh, first, give a hand to Joe. Woo. Um, where, where his head goes, his whole body goes, right? That, that's the way God made it. And you and I, how is your, how is my, how is our, y'all's connection to the head? How, how, what do you do in your daily life to be connected to the head? How, how, how is that going for you? How's it going for me? You know, I find I need stillness and silence because the, the rushing of all the thoughts and all the stuff come in and, and it's like, oh, I got to do this or that or or your mind goes on something, you know, and I need to just try to focus and sit and be. Now, Brother Lawrence, some guy who made it his goal his whole life to try to stay connected, he's like, oh, when I'm doing dishes, I'm connected. And when I'm in a walk with other brothers, he was a monk, I'm connected. Like, like he worked at just this internal conversation with God along with external life and conversations. How do you stay connected to the head? Jesus said, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you'll do nothing. You know, there's this sense of being connected, of scriptures coming to mind, of the spirit living inside of me and inside of you and inside of y'all, where the head goes, the body goes. Maybe this week, if you look at your life and you're like, you know, I haven't really been so connected. It's time to... Get up a few minutes early, turn the TV off, you know, whatever it takes, and connect. Well, then he goes on, and, and I'm going to close with this. He says, now I say, and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Curious, who's he writing to? Yep, I heard it. Gentiles. Yeah. They're like, you must no longer walk as Betty does. Betty, right? You know, Jojo, don't be Jojo, right? You know, like, what's he talking about here? He's talking about a new identity. Many people don't know who uh, those people are up there. But that one in the middle between Randy and I had a different name than she has now. And most people have no idea what she used to be called. 
But now she's got a new name. Gretchen, sorry for putting your picture up there. Uh, now she's got a new name, Seletsky. She's no longer known by her maiden name. She's got a new name. And you and I in Christ no longer live as the Gentiles because I am no longer that. I'm this. I'm living into this calling. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm the beloved child of the Father. I'm holy. I, I've been given grace upon grace. And he says, but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him, as to the truth in Jesus. Now, this is the daily Christian life. This is normal Christianity, what I'm about to read. Put off the old self, which is be, belongs to your former manner, your old name, inside of me and inside of you is something that will be hell if not nipped in the bud. I remember talking to somebody who was grumbling, and I said to them, the thing you're fighting is not right. You need to fight the grumble because it will consume you, right? Do you see that? And he's saying there's something inside of us that we need to die to. The old way of thinking, the old way of being. Uh, put that to death, another says. This says put it off. He's, he has this kind of clothing concept, which belongs to your former manner of life and is being corrupted through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, when he says corrupt through deceitful desires... Who was the first corrupter? Who was the first one to break the unity that God had with his creation? It was deceitful desires. It was, oh, you will be like God. God's holding out on you. He's not good. His plan is not good. You need to do what God told you not to do so you can be like God. And inside of me and inside of you are still these deceitful desires that we follow them. They lead us away from the Lord. One author said, whatever we worship, we will serve. For worship and service are always inextricably bound together. Whatever most captures our imagination and heart, it ensnares us. We'll ultimately look either to God, success, romance, family, status, popularity, Beauty, you fill in the blank. We'll look to something else to give us honor and value, right? To make us personally significant, to guide our choices. I mean, this is the way we're wired. Henry Nouwen, in Return of the Prodigal, described it this way. He said, leaving home is then much more than a historical event bound to time and place. It's a denial of the spiritual reality that I belong to God with every part of my being that God holds me safe in an eternal embrace, that I'm indeed carved in the palm of God's hand, hidden in, the shadow, in their shadows. Leaving home means ignoring the truth that God has fashioned me in secret, molded me in the depths of the earth, knit me together in my mother's womb. Leaving home is living as though I do not yet have a home, and I must look far and wide to find one. I am prodigal, now and wrote, Every time I search for unconditional love where it can't be found. 
It takes us back to some of those beginning concepts. And Paul is saying, hey, you are a new creature, but there's still something inside of you that can be deceived. Don't live into it. Put on something new and beautiful. Be renewed. Look at this. In the spirit of your mind, it's so important that we see that the battle is here in how we think. He has the concept of putting on like the baptismal robes that, that they would wear back in the day and they would wear these white robes and they'd be new creatures in Christ. And how do you put on a new mind? I think it happens every day. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, the man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself and he's no longer looking to himself. He's no longer looking at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. He does not even look at what he hopes to be as a result of his own efforts. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, and he rests in it alone. He ceases to say, ah, yes, I used to commit such terrible sins, but I have done this and that, these good things. He he stops saying that. If he goes on saying that, he's not got faith. Faith speaks an entirely in an entirely different manner and makes a man say, yes, I have sinned grievously. I've lived a life of sin, yet I know that I am a child of God because I'm not resting on my own righteousness, a righteousness of my own. My righteousness is in Jesus Christ, and God has put that to my account. Every day, every day. When you're uncomfortable in your own skin, when you're like, oh, I wish this had gone this way or said that, you need to go back and ground yourself. Wait a minute. I am not my behavior. I'm a blood-bought child of God. Richard Loveless says this. He says, we start each day with our personal security, not resting on the accepting love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but our own present feelings, our recent achievements in the Christian life, And since these arguments will not quiet the human conscience, we inevitably move either to discouragement and apathy or to self-righteousness, which falsifies the record of achievements, uh, record to achieve a sense of peace. But faith, this is the putting on that is able to warm itself at the fires of God's love instead of having to steal love and acceptance from other sources is actually the root of peace. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are new creatures in you. And I pray that every day you would help us live in to to your new reality, that, that heaven and earth could meet here in our midst and here inside of us, Lord God. And that you would help us because we are sheep and we need that shepherd that you'd move and empower us to renew our minds. And when we're so tempted to, to, to move and uh, to go with the spirit of the age, to go with the powers of, of darkness and try to base our self-perception on something other than your gift, whisper to our hearts and bring us back to you. Jesus in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.